Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became, how do we as lawyers make a difference? Jack, today it's just us, and we're going to discuss issues one and issues, excuse me, issue one and issue two that are on the November uh, ballot. Um, and they're very unique, uh, at least to me, from a uh, law slash constitutional standpoint, but also they're obviously very important issues to the citizens of our state. Yeah, I'm always struck by issue one in that. People can be so militant and hostile when it comes to abortion, as opposed to saying, you know, what works? People really get angry about this as if you're trying to take their house away from them. When you look at uh, signs in our neighborhood, you can tell kind of the um, middle of the road people that we know, um, uh, political middle of the road, they don't have any sign in their yard. So you really don't know where they are on that issue. The staunch conservatives that we know have multiple vote no signs in their yard. And then the more liberal friends of ours in the neighborhood have the vote yes. And, um, and you know, they look crosswise at each other. So um, hopefully we can all be friends when it's uh, when it's said and done. But thinking about issue one first, this is an initiated constitutional amendment. And that's somewhat unique in our history. I mean, it's it's happened before. And we just came off of the special election that would have changed the threshold for this. And um, that was voted down. But basically, it's a it's a the concept is, is that the citizens um, propose a constitutional amendment, and it doesn't go through our legislators. Um, and so this was obviously uh, proposed because or in response to our United States Supreme Court's um, uh, doing away with the Roe versus Wade standard. I mean, that's essentially it, right? Sure. So we have uh, what's going to be um, a change in the Constitution if— it's passed November 7th. What I find very curious is the actual language is not going to be on the ballot. The, the, the language that the Constitution is going to uh, have in it if we pass this is different than what the Secretary of State is going to propose for the statute or, for, excuse me, for the ballot. Well, now that strikes me. What you're saying to me is a newsflash because I was looking at what came out from the Secretary of State, and I'm seeing a change to Article 1, Section 22. Well, there is, but when you go to the ballot, they're not going to reproduce that uh, language. They've got their own summary of what it's going to do, and that was – there was some controversy about it in the dispatch because um, in the statute, I think it refers to a fetus, and in the summary, it refers to – you know, child, uh, uh, something like that. So, they, so there's some controversy about the language um, that was submitted. Well, you know, that is, again, that's a newsflash to me. And I'm surprised at that because 
what is presented by the Secretary of State as the full text of the amendment is pretty short and sweet and pretty easy to understand. Yeah, so um, the proponents of the amendment initially suggested that it appear in full mm-hmm. uh, on the voter ballots. The Ohio Ballot Board substituted its own summary wording to appear, and uh, it was written by Secretary of State and Republican Senate candidate Frank LaRose and approved by the Republican majority of the ballot board. So, you know, no surprise there. So what it says here is it uh, has received criticism uh, for the language, including substituting the word unborn child for the medically accurate term fetus and omitting reference to other rights the proposed amendment would produce protect such as contraception, miscarriage care, fertility treatments, and things like that. So you got to be careful what you're reading uh, and understand that it may uh, not accurately reflect what the actual proposal is. So, um, But it's been a kind of an interesting campaign, right? Uh, have you seen the commercials? I, I've heard some commercials on the radio and – they are in such conflict with one another that if I didn't know better, I'd say, okay, which one is really telling the truth? I mean, I think I know in my heart where I am, but boy, they're just both off the charts in terms of um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Exaggeration, I suppose. Now, um, our Attorney General, Dave Yost, tried to clear that up. He did a... um, um a, um, I don't know what you would call it, white paper on um, what the uh, the uh, a, abortion a, amendment would mean. A 13-page memo that, no offense, Mr. Yost, I didn't think it was written as clearly as it could have been. <laughs> I found it um, uh, kind of interesting to read it that um, he it, it appeared to me reading between the lines he was trying to be neutral but then not trying to be neutral because he basically is one of these things where, well, this is unclear so it's going to lead to litigation and this is unclear and it's going to lead to litigation. And so anything that was critical of the of changing the Constitution may lead to litigation and um, – uh, yeah, well, everything leads to litigation these days, so I'm not sure I'd be too concerned about that. Would you be? Yeah, I, 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 the way I looked at it was he was creating potential arguments out of whole cloth. Here's one example. There was a reference to reproductive rights. Well, from there, he launched into, well, this could affect trans kids and surgery or something to that effect. And I thought, well, now that's a major leap. And besides that, I don't know why anybody worries about that because from my experience or from what I've read, the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatricians, none of them advocate any kind of gender-affirming surgery for teenagers, right? So it's like creating this bugaboo that doesn't exist. And there was one other thing that caught me, and and I think you were tapping into this. He makes it sound as if there will now be fewer restrictions on abortion. The implication is the fewer restrictions will be a problem. And I thought, wait a minute, that's the whole point of the amendment, fewer restrictions, right? So it's purposefully done 
to alleviate a problem. And he's looking at that as a bad thing, which I think tells where his hand is. Contrasting that to our governor, Mike DeWine, who I supported, and I, I support Mike DeWine. And Mike DeWine has always been a um, pro-life person. You know what you get. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's come out and said, you know, let's vote this down. Um, but, you know, what happened is, is that we lost the rights that were guaranteed under Roe versus Wade, our federal constitutional rights. That case that overturned it, um, Dobbs. Dobbs, basically summarizing a, a long opinion, said, let the states decide, right? So what does our state do? They pass a six-week ban, right? And um, which is one of the most restrictive in the country, uh, despite the fact that a majority of the people in Ohio want to see some form of choice, right? I think that's the critical part of the whole discussion. I looked at polls last night, two polls, basically the same, somewhere between 58 and 60% of Ohioans want some form of abortion available. So then one might think, well, why don't we just ask the legislature to make that law? And the reason is they don't pay attention to what the majority of Ohioans want. So that's why we're in this pickle. It, it is. And so when people ask me what the amendment is going to do, I usually say it's going to go back to a Roe versus Wade type of analysis. But when you look at the actual language, it probably is more liberal than Roe versus Wade. I mean, Roe versus Wade was basically, look, we're going to divide uh, the pregnancy up into three parts. The first part, a woman gets the right to choose. The second part, the woman can still choose an abortion, but the state has some interest in regulating that choice. And then in the third part, after viability, if you want to say it, then the state can step in and, and, and basically ban certain things. I think the Ohio Constitution goes a little bit further in protecting women's rights uh, than Roe versus Wade. Um, you mean the proposed amendment? Yeah, or? the proposed amendment. Sure. Sure. Um, but, you know, when, when our governor gets on and says this isn't the right type of law to address this, you got to – it's not funny, but you almost have to chuckle to yourself, a six-week ban seems draconian, right? Yeah, that wasn't helping anything. And still, this proposal um, puts limits on abortion after viability. So there has to be a medical need. Which brings me to the other bugaboo that the anti-abortion folks talk about, which is this will allow abortions at any stage. And again, what I think I've read from the medical profession is there isn't a whole lot of abortion procedures going on late in a pregnancy. So, you know, they create this fear and then argue that that's a concern. It, yes, they do, and yes, it does allow for abortions in late term, but there are restrictions sure. that have to be – it's got to be – I'm going to use my own words – medically necessary. There has to be a physician involved, which goes back to this idea that 
I think is being enshrined by this proposed amendment is that it's the woman's choice, the family's choice with the medical professionals, right, opinions being factored in. It's not the government's choice. And the things that I've read about the supporters are basically all the medical societies support this. Um, you gee, know. gee, wait a minute. Are you saying that the legislature is turning a deaf ear to what professionals are saying? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Shocking, I understand. Yeah, that. really. Because we say, where do we see that all the time? With gun laws. You know, if you ever go to those hearings, you'll see a deputy sheriff appear, somebody from the Fraternal Order of Police, and they say, please don't pass this law. This is not a good law. And it gets passed. And the the what we'll call it fear mongering for the the opponents. Um, you know, we know that the current law. So right now we have a six week uh, ban. After six weeks, there's after. a ban. That's been put on hold. Mm -hmm. But for I don't know a few weeks or months, it was the law before it was put on hold. Right. And we saw what that did. It it caused a lot of confusion. One of the most, um, 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 you know, publicized problems was the, the young woman, young girl that had to go to Indiana right. to, to receive an abortion. And, um, you know, so we know that the six-week band is not right. And uh, to me, that tips the scale it, back to the legislator to fix that, but they won't. So it has to be a constitutional uh, amendment. Tagging on to what you just said, I just saw on national news last night, a group of women in Idaho have filed suit because of complications they had in their pregnancies that they couldn't resolve through abortion because of state law, and they suffered physical injury as a result, which goes to the point of, instead of doing really what's appropriate medically, I hate to say it, we have legislators just legislating their own morality. We do. And then when you look at procedurally, I have to go back to one of the things that uh, our Attorney General Yost said in his paper. Um, you know, they're talking about parental consent oh. and, and the right of a minor to have an abortion. And basically he made the point that minors have the right to have an abortion now because they can go to a judge. Right? Right. So, so let's think about this as lawyers, right? Uh, they've got Six weeks. Well, first of all, let's make it really clear. What Yost was saying is minors can probably get an abortion by themselves without parental consent. That's the bugaboo. That's the bugaboo. Keep and going. So, so there's a procedure now in place. If right. There's no constitutional amendment that protects that right, according to our attorney general. So as lawyers, first, the client would have to realize she's pregnant. Now remember, they only got six weeks. Mm -hmm. Have the resources to hire an attorney, to go to court, to get in front of a judge, to get a ruling, and then actually go and have an abortion. How many cases do you know that move through the system in six weeks? Well, this has, first of all, the answer to your question is none. But this one does provide for speedy relief. You know, the trial judge has to hear it within X number of days. But of course, the problem is who's going to enforce that with the trial judge? 
Well, not only that, let's say that, that the trial judge is receptive. First of all, you're not going to get in front of the trial judge without an attorney. So already you're restricting a lot of people's right because they're just not going to be able to afford the right. attorney. If they can't afford the attorney, what stops somebody from appealing? I mean, there, there's there's a lot of hurdles with this process of uh, because the six weeks goes by so fast. Um, it just is not a workable solution. And, you know, when the AG says, yes, minors can do this without their parental consent, it's just not going to happen. Well, I'd be interested if anybody's even tried it, but the law just wasn't in place very long. Well, I I'm, I called up the statute because, thank goodness, Yost gave us the citation, but I'm not sure that the constitutional amendment overrides the statute because all it does is put in place a procedure. So you'd have to make the argument that this constitutional amendment necessarily overrides everything in there there in terms of a young girl pregnant doesn't have parental consent has to go to a judge well does does this statute necessarily override this procedure of going to a judge it doesn't seem like it would mm -hmm. but again my sense and maybe i'm looking at this through filters because you know my position on this gonzo but i think yost is just really trying to exhibit the parade of horribles that will come with this amendment well, most people, and it's not an overwhelming majority of people, but most people support it. If they come out with the same numbers that they did to defeat the special election to change, uh, you know, the, the criteria for changing the election, then this should pass. And like any constitutional amendment, there's going to be some court cases that that, that develop after that. And we've got a very conservative Supreme Court in our state. I can't imagine it's going to run wild here with throwing out, you know, like you said, these, these other procedures or these other statutes. I think we also have to remember, there are two things I think we have to remember. First of all, the picture that the opponents paint is this carefree attitude toward abortions. As if some group of women have abortions about as easily as they would choose to brush their teeth, right? It just doesn't happen when you talk to professionals. Second thing is the medical profession is there to counsel and guide women in these decisions. And the third thing, and this is what really bothers me about the whole discussion, it's, it's made, the discussion happens in a vacuum without talking about who the real interested people are. So what I mean by that is let's look at the people who are having abortions. Thank goodness for the internet because I was able to get some numbers very quickly last evening. So here's the breakdown. 57, and this is from the Centers for Disease Control. 57% of women who have abortions are in their 20s. 31% are in their 30s. 8% are girls between the ages of 13 and 19. And this was really interesting. 59% are women who already have a child. But here's the part that really struck me. 49% of women who have abortions live below the poverty line. 
And the poverty line for this year is for a family of four, $38,000. And if you're a single woman, it's $15,000. So 49% of the women fall into that category. 25% of the women who fall, who have abortions, are somewhere between 100,000, excuse me, excuse me, are somewhere between 100% and 200% of the federal poverty line. My point is this. We have a very particularized group of women who are having abortions, right? And these aren't the people living in Upper Arlington. And all we're doing is having this fight about whether they should have abortions without having any concern for who are these women and what is their position and what kind of trauma are they undergoing and where are they? We're having a debate about morality without looking at the people, and that's bothersome. Well, our governor has said that um, he would be um, in favor of adjusting the six-week ban and passing additional legislation, not a constitutional amendment, but, you know, tweaking the current law so that it addresses a lot of these concerns. And, you know, my question is, how are you going to do that? <laughs> well, you, you can't because the, the legislature is not doing, I hate to say this, something good for the Ohioans, something that reflects the, here's the way to say it. They don't pass legislation that reflects the needs of Ohioans. They pass legislation that reflects their own moral bent. That's the problem, in my not-so-humble opinion. It, and when you look across the country, you know, uh, you can see Ohio's trend. It trends with the more conservative legislatures from other states, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about our constitutional amendment protecting contraceptive, uh, you, you, you know why that's in there. Because there are other states that are trying to outlaw the morning-after pill, and certain contraceptives, and it's just not going to be that long until Ohio legislatures take up that. So I think some of what you see in this constitutional amendment is looking... Looking forward? Looking forward, and, you know, I just think that the governor is either being disingenuous or very naive, and I don't think he's a naive person. He's a very good politician, uh, that he thinks that uh, people are going to believe that somehow if this is defeated, that the legislator will go back to work. Um, I, I was disappointed in the fact that, you know, after the, the, the shooting, I think is in in, uh, in Dayton. Um, oh, right. He, he came out with oh. some... some kind of common sense gun restrictions, and it went nowhere in the legislature. Hold on. It was worse than that. He signed legislation that made gun laws more lax, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He went totally the, the other way. So, um, you know, I, I, I just can't believe that, uh, that it's going to get um, better for women that want a right to choose if this constitutional amendment isn't passed. So, um, interesting. So the other thing, though, that's also is, uh, is the um, marijuana uh, issue, I guess, is to say it. Weed for all. <laughs> it's, 
But it's different. We're not changing the Constitution here. What this is is a uh, citizen initiative that is proposing legislation. Um, my understanding of the procedure here is that um, the legislation was proposed to the legislature going through the normal channels of, of getting the right petition. The legislature didn't act on it, so now it goes to a, a statewide vote. So the, our legislature has had the opportunity on its own to address recreational marijuana. It did nothing. Then there was an, a citizen initiative that said, hey, we got enough people that want you to address this. Will you please do it? They did nothing. And so now it's a, they're writing their own statute, the citizen group. And if Tom Suttis, the op-ed writer who appears in the dispatch every Sunday, is correct, even if this thing passes, the legislature will have its opportunity to whittle it down to something that the legislature thinks is more appropriate. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I had to laugh. Um, I, I love uh, the Suttis and, uh, oh, yeah. and what he writes. And, and he, he did this thing, um, H.L. <laughs> uh, Menchkin's uh, definition of um, uh, puritanism. Am I saying that right? Oh, wait, I wrote that down. Hold on for a second. The haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> That's right. I, I put that in the notes that I carry in my phone. I thought that was a great quote. It, it, it really yeah. is. So, so you know, we, we, you and I were talking, um, oh, shoot, I think it was with Mike Curtin, as to why the uh, people that are, are uh, backing the, the marijuana um, statute didn't go for a constitutional amendment. Oh, we did have that discussion. Yeah. I can't remember what, what it, the outcome was. Well, I, I don't think he was definitive on why, he, he, but he was questioning it because mm -hmm. he had told us that, yeah, with even developing a statute, if it passes, the legislature can revoke it, rescind it later, make any changes to it because it's a state law. And uh, so, you know, if you enshrine it in the Constitution, they can't mess with it. And um, it, it's always bothered me as to why this particular issue came out through a um, statutory um, um, citizen initiative. But I think I, I may have found the answer to that. Which is? Well, this statute, and I think I got this from A.G. Yost, is 52 pages. Oh, yeah, it's long. It's you, long. By the way, the document that came out from the Secretary of State was maybe 12 pages long, but it was in microprint. So it probably is 50 or 60 mm -hmm. pages. So you wouldn't want our Constitution to include 52 more pages. Right. And when you think about something like this, which is recreational marijuana, there's going to have to be a lot of regulations. There has to probably be a oversight committee oh. set up. There's got to be, you know, um, uh, licenses and things like that. So it's not, and I agree with this analysis, it's really not appropriate for a constitutional amendment, right? You know, uh, there should be no infringement on free speech. That's pretty easy. Mm. You don't put 52 pages in that we can have recreational marijuana. So it makes sense to me when you think about this, pass it as a statute. And yes, the legislature can tweak it as long as they're being genuine and trying to make it work the way it's supposed to, right? I get it. Um, I have two comments about the issue, too. 
The first is I was reading how gun owners don't like issue two. And they don't like issue two because when you go to purchase a gun, you have to talk about whether you're a user of marijuana and other controlled substances. So the issue is, well, gee, if I use marijuana by virtue of issue two passing, I can't buy a gun. Um, and I thought, well, how does that change anything? Even without issue two and marijuana being legal, you still can't purchase a gun if you're using marijuana. So I'm trying to figure out how issue two affects gun owners one way or the other. What am I missing? I kind of, uh, I think the same way as you are. I, 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 people are using marijuana. <laughs> I'm shocked to hear that. Yeah. By them. yeah. And, and one of the reasons it's going to be recreational is because so many people think that it's fine to use marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for most of my life, probably all of it, um, it's been illegal. And so, you know, it's been off the table. Am I all of a sudden going to think, oh, I'm going to go and start doing marijuana now because it's legal? Probably not, but right. maybe. Yeah. Um, it has no effect on my purchase of, of guns, um, you know. So uh, I think that's just another fear-mongering, just trying to get people to, to not support it for some uh, nebulous fear that's probably never going to come across. Um, I found it um, interesting that, um, you know, that at some point the federal government's going to have to address this, right? Because you still can't open a bank account and deposit marijuana money into it. Yeah, and that's it's, still a problem. It is. But, um, you know, it, it, uh, it doesn't create the monopoly that uh, I think in 2015 mm -hmm. this issue came up. <clears throat> and most of the um, criticism was I think it was going to set up 10 uh, oh, that's right. sites across Ohio where you could grow marijuana. Right. You know, now it's... Uh, basically opened up, and you can grow it on your own, so you, you don't have to hide those plants in your basement anymore. What a relief. It, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, uh, it's, again, about uh, choice, right? And um, if, if people uh, want to enjoy recreational marijuana, I'm not sure now that there's so many states that allow it that any fears have really been realized. Do you know of anything that's happening out there that's like, well, the, this is shocking. We, we ought to probably uh, pull the reins in. No, I can't say that I found anything. The only thing I'm concerned about is that um, if you recall when we had Sarah Denny on our podcast, boy, a couple of years ago, remember the pediatrician? Sure, yeah. And she was talking, not so much, not, not about marijuana, but she was talking about how late it takes for the male mind to fully develop. And she said something like mid-20s. Now, our conversation focused on bad behavior, you know, m young men acting inappropriately and perhaps abusing women in a dating relationship, that kind of thing. The, the, the sort of thing we read about in fraternity house scandals, right? But I'm thinking, well, I got to believe Sarah knows what she's talking about. Is there an argument that maybe 
men shouldn't be using marijuana until mid-20s. Now, mind you, the statute has a cutoff of 21. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would probably be impossible to to pass a law that says, you know, for guys, it's age 25. But, you know, that sticks with me what Sarah said, and that causes me concern. What little I've seen about uh, that, um, I have seen some concern by pediatricians that um, – Marijuana and a, a minor oh. mind um, has a lot more effect than it would on our adult mind. So sure. I was happy to see that it was 21. Again, to me, that might be something that the legislature could adjust, like you said, make it 25 or, or something to that effect if the pediatrician associations really came out in force about it. So um, what I think uh, the interplay between – conservatives and marijuana Mm -hmm. is that a lot of them are going to vote for it. And, oh, what, for the tax? No. I just think that, and this is anecdotal, a lot of people are going over to Michigan and, you know, going to our sister states and uh, participating in recreational marijuana and they would like to have it here. Because they don't see a problem with it. They use it for, um, you know, uh, uh, alleviate pain, anxiety, to sleep better. Well, it does have some significant health benefits. And you've mentioned a couple of them. Health, or excuse me, pain, sleeping. I I don't think that's in dispute. No. So I think that uh, there are people that you would think um, would be against it just because they're conservatives, and uh, and they're probably not going to be. And a lot of them are probably our age. Well, I'm conflicted about marijuana being available t- to young men. Now, I haven't read enough, but I just keep harking back to what Sarah was telling us. I also, uh, on the last thing about it, obviously employers are going to be concerned, but I don't see that as being more concerned with somebody that's uh, drug addicted or alcohol dependent or something like that. I mean, you have those issues in society, uh, employment law, employers, HR people, you deal with it all the time. It exactly. seems to me it's not a reason to um, to vote against it. So, um, well... This will all be over November 7th. I tell you what, that vote on issue one, that's the, – the nation is watching all that, right? right? Just like the nation was watching – was it a constitutional amendment in Kansas about a year ago? So this will be on the news. It will be. On uh, the national news. All right, Jack. Great discussion as always. Very interesting, very informative. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Our thanks also to WOSU and our sound engineer, Dalton Jones. If you like what you've heard today, please tell a friend. We want this show to be more than just us. We'd like it to be all of us. We'll be back in another week or so with another important social justice issue. Until then, so long.